Hey everybody, welcome back to the Unsexy Church Podcast. We're in the 30s as far as episodes go, 30, 33. That's after the Q&A episode. If you haven't had the chance to listen to a Q&A episode we dropped uh, this week, make sure you listen to it. Has it dropped? So it has dropped as of now, correct? Okay, has not dropped yet. Well, it will be. Well, it dropping will be soon. by the time they hear this. It will be. It will right. be dropping. So make sure you go listen to the Q and A episode. Um, are we in thirty? And we're in Kara, episode what thirty-four. What are you here for, Kara? Should, should we restart? Oh my, my goodness. goodness! She's dying over there. We talked about you staring people down. You should give her the stare. I, right I, now. I am. I'm giving her the stare. Hey, well, that was Pastor Bob. I'm Pastor Trent, and uh, we hope that you enjoy the podcast today. Um, we're going to be talking about. Um, government and how a Christian might relate to their government. Um, I'll talk more about that in, in a minute, but I do have a mug this week. Did um, you come prepared this time with yeah, a mug? Yeah, it's been a while since I've been prepared. Um, I have a Buddy Brew Coffee Craft Roaster mug. Um, so Buddy Brew is a local coffee brewer here in Tampa, one of the par- probably one of the more well-known uh, coffee brewers. They have a number of locations. One is downtown, not far from us. And so I was taking one of our students out to lunch to catch up with them and stop by Buddy Brew to make sure I was prepared with a mug for today's episode. So if you're in Tampa, make sure you check out Buddy Brew. I would recommend the Ethiopian pour over. It's very good. You're right? such a snob. Ethiopian. You are a coffee snob. I mean, if you're okay, so if I'm going to Starbucks, I'll get something cheap and simple, right? <laughs> but if you're going to a nice place where coffee is going to be $9 or more, might as well get the good stuff. So the good stuff, for the record, Ethiopian pour over. First world troubles. Do you know, do you know what that, you know what that means, right? Pour over? Yeah. I, okay. Yes. Uh, making sure you said snob, yes. so I didn't know if you knew. So basically you pour the water over. Over. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I got it. Go. Yeah. It's, it's not rocket science. <laughs> it makes it a lot smoother. Like if you've had a pour over, it's, it's not as bitter. Um, so, so I guess it's more are we doing a, a, an episode on overly priced foo-foo coffee? Okay. Well, I'm going to tell Buddy Bree you said that. <laughs> overly. <laughs> Overly you just said nine bucks I'm for a cup a of Google coffee. Google review from Pastor Bob Block at First Baptist Tampa. Overly priced foo-foo coffee. All right. Hey, let's get into it. Um, so we're talking about government on the podcast today. And I, I have a disclaimer I wrote, and I just want to make sure that I say kind of what we're trying to get at and what we're not. <clears throat> so unique time and place to even be recording this. Um, we have people even yesterday that um, have declared that they're going to be uh, running for president in 2024. Um, so the intention of this episode is not to critique current governmental leaders or advocate for any particular type of government structure, but rather to examine what relationship Christians and the church as a whole are to have with the established governments in place in any place and at any time. So we're not advocating a particular type of government or we're not even, even talking a about party within government. Correct. Because right? the Bible does not. Correct. Give a specific, you know, it, it speaks of government. It speaks of respect for government. It does not lay out this is the type of government you should have. Sure. So we're going to be looking at the Bible for our answer. And in the Bible, there are different types of governments for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the American government was not a thing at the time. Roman government, of course, will look at um, even the Babylonian government mm-hmm. um, and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, we won't be talking about political parties, especially those that are here in America. Um, but we will talk about how Christians should think um, uh, and be in relationship with their government. Because yeah. the, at the, the end of the day, the bottom line is our response to government as Christians does not matter what that type of government is. Right, right. 
or whether we like the leaders in charge of that government. Correct. Right. So we do have a passage that really explicitly um, kind of lays out how a Christian ought to relate with their government. One of those passages is Romans chapter 13. It's one of the more well-known passages where Paul addresses the church and talks about how they might um, uh, obey government, submit to government, um, and recognize that government is instituted by God for their good. First Peter chapter 2, after Peter addresses the church as elect exiles, strangers and sojourners living in this world that's not their home, he tells them again to submit to government authority because it's in place for their good. So let's just talk a minute about government. I wrote down a few bullet points here. Um, but first and foremost, just something to note that we recognize from Romans 13 is that it says that a government at any given time um, has been put there in place by God for good, right? Yeah, so I, I think Romans 13 speaks to a couple things that we need to address at the front end of this conversation is why does government exist? Who created government? at least the concept of government, mm-hmm. uh, and what it's there for. And so we see that in Romans 13. I mean, we, if if everybody was still in the Adonic state, we were still in Eden and everybody was perfect, we wouldn't have need for a government. God would be in control and we would be serving him and walking with him. But sin is coming into the world, man has fallen, and we don't treat each other the way we should. And so there must be some system that keeps chaos from completely breaking loose. And so God has ordained that governments – civil governments be there for that. And I think we see that in in uh, Romans 13. Yeah. The beginning of Romans 13, the whole command that kind of leads what he says for seven verses is to be subject to those governing authorities. Um, and then he says those governing authorities have been instituted by God to protect um, a large group of people from basically in sin becoming anarchists, right? Um, and he says in verse 2 of Romans chapter 13, Whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed. So when we're talking about the inception of government itself, it's been instituted by God. And its role, verse 3, is to restrain evil, to stop evil from taking place. And they're not a terror to good conduct or not intended to be a terror to good conduct, um, rather a blessing. But it is God's way of bringing wrath, it even says in Romans 13, against the evildoer. And so the Christian's response to government is to be thankful. This is something God has put in place where man in his wisdom that God has afforded him, even sinful man, can recognize, okay, we need a group of people um, or a person to make sure to carry out basically the sword of God um, uh, so that people don't just kill themselves or hurt themselves or hurt one another or so on and so forth. It's good. Yeah, so it's not only being thankful for government, it's being <laughs> subject to that government because mm-hmm. God has placed that government in position in order to protect us, in order to provide um, for the good of those who are doing good and for judgment against those who are doing evil, as it's supposed to be designed. It doesn't always work that way, of course, but that's how it's designed and that's how we're supposed to respond to it. Yeah. And um, and we'll get to more of this later, but what's unique in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter is the government in place, Rome, is not a godly government. It's not a good government even. Not at all. Um, now it might be as far as like the territory expanding and growing, um, but as far as to the individual, especially to the Christian, it's not, um, not good. It's not, um, uh, it doesn't seek their joy. It actually seeks, um, uh, after, uh, their liberties. And so, um, 
what's interesting in Romans 13, again, and in First Peter, is that it says you still ought to pay taxes to, to these institutions that have been there uh, or that are there by God. Um, because uh, in so doing, you are showing respect to that position in place um, because of God. It says give honor to whom honor is owed. Right. So you mentioned something really important there, I think, that we need to talk about for a while. Uh, you mentioned that we're to be subject to governing authorities, even if they're not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the case in the biblical canon. Most often, those in governmental positions are not good. Right. Most. Most. Most, most yeah. governments are pretty bad. Sure. Right. Uh, and again, as a result of sin. So I think we should walk through, if if you're ready, six considerations um, for Christians uh, as they submit and serve their government, especially if it's a government that is wicked. Right. Right. And and we need to throw this one caveat in as we're talking about submitting to government, we should do so unless that government tells us to do anything that's contrary to God's authoritative word. And sure. We'll, we'll probably get there in the conversation. Yeah, number five. But, but I want to make sure good. it's out front because I'm not just advocating, hey, whatever the government tells you, do it, whether it's good or bad. Right. That's not necessarily the case. We should subject be subject to them as long as they're not telling us to do something that is clearly contradictory. So we'll, we'll see that as we go through. So six things for Christians to consider as they're thinking about their role and um, to the government. So the first is this. Um, uh, there's an encouragement in First Timothy chapter two to pray for your government, kings and king, uh, kings and kingdoms and high places, uh, and the salvation even of its leaders. Um, toward the end of that um, encouragement to pray in First Timothy chapter two, it says, "You pray to the Lord who desires the salvation of all people." Um, Nero was in power in the time that Paul was writing um, First Timothy to Timothy, who was in Ephesus, and he's telling uh, Timothy, "Hey, lead out." in this church by praying for even the government and pray for its leaders uh, and pray for their salvation. So Nero was a very bad king, and said, and yet he said, pray for his salvation. And ultimately why is because if you really want to see change in the world, it will be through the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just through mandates and laws. Right. Yeah, government's not going to change the world. Yeah. Not for good. Not for good. So – um when we pray, are we just to pray for those we agree with, or are we to pray with those we like? Again, Nero is in power. Right. Christians should not probably be agreeing with much of what Nero had to say. So we're, we're even to pray for those who we don't agree with, who might even be persecuting us. So we're praying for them, praying for um, – are these imprecatory prayers that we mm. learned about in the book of Psalms, mm. or are these prayers that say God – change their heart, channel their heart like a like a river as you can. In the context of First Timothy, for their salvation. looks like salvation. Looks right. like for their heart to be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, if you want to see a government turn around, it won't be by laws. It'll be by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means, you know, praying for uh, Trump. That means praying for Biden. That means praying for Putin. That means praying for what whatever government leader you want to list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. So – at the end of First Timothy two two, does it not say that we are to do so so that we might lead a, a quiet and tranquil life? Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. That's correct. That's right. So so we are submitting to government. We are even if it's a bad government, just to keep the peace, hmm. just so things don't go poorly for us, so we don't poke the bear. What, what's the, what's this idea that we we are to Live at peace. 
and quiet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that the goal is necessarily just to make sure that Christians don't make a fuss. Uh, I think the goal is godliness, and the goal is to be represent, representation of Christ so that when we live before an ungodly culture, people might recognize that our rest and our peace comes um, from uh, a higher power, God himself, so that we're not you know, swayed to and fro where – um, uh, with worry and with fear when things don't go our way or when things seem out of control. I don't know. I don't know that, is that helpful? I think so. I'm, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm just trying to, again, as we're relating as <clears throat> as Christians to, to any entity, as specifically here, government, um, the goal is peace, which we know only comes through Christ mm. and needs to be demonstrated. So as we are praying for, even if we're disagreeing with government, it should be in such a way that people can respect and honor how we're approaching it, right. seeing the peace of Christ in our lives, seeing the quiet spirit that comes because of that. Even I can, I can disagree with you and not hate you. I can, right. I can have a disagreement on, on politics and how things should go and still like you, still have a conversation with you, yeah. right? So they should see that within our lives as we are living this, this, this gospel before them. It's yeah. not just the things we say. It's how we how we treat people when we disagree with them. Yeah, and I think – so in the context of prayer in First Timothy chapter 2, that's communion with God. I, I think when you are spending time with the Lord, it really sets your – I guess sets your gaze at things higher than the governments above you. And so who is there to fear if you have a relationship with the Lord God Almighty? Right. Right. And so you can live a peaceable and quiet life knowing that your eternity is secure, even though tomorrow may not be. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think uh, beginning with praying for these leaders, um, I think, helps you live a peaceable and quiet life because you're praying to the one who's in charge of them. Yeah. Acknowledging a higher authority. <clears throat> Absolutely. The one who put them in place, the one who will be in place when they're far gone. Yeah. So understanding those things, which I think leads to number three on your list is which don't put hope in, in government or its leaders. Don't mm. don't put your ultimate hope there. Yeah. Know that our ultimate hope, ultimate peace, the ultimate answer to all of man's problems isn't going to be resolved who whichever government's in place. Yeah. Uh, it's only going to be through through Christ and through through the one who's put all those things in authority. No leader can save Christianity and no leader can kill the church. Right. Right. Uh, that's very important to remember, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We have one savior of Christianity. That's mm-hmm. Jesus. Right. And so while your leaders do matter, it matters to, to engage in politics and vote. We can rest easy that the future of Christ and his church is not dependent on any one man or any party or any political structure. Yeah, I think that's super duper important. Sure. Some trust in I think you did you already I didn't read Psalm, the text. Psalm yeah. twenty verse seven. Yeah. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Mm-hmm. Right. And you trust in a far higher authority. Sure. So we're not um <clears throat> trying to encourage people not to have any relationship with government. We're not trying to encourage people that feel led to uh, vote or feel led, and they should, by the way, vote, um, but feel led to be part of government or make changes through government. We're not trying to encourage them not to do that. Mm-hmm. We're just saying, don't put your ultimate hope there. Just recognize the answer is not in government. You, yeah. you might be able to do some things that make some changes, but ultimately that change is our, our people's lives and hearts being changed by the gospel. Yeah. That's what's going to change things. So, yeah. um, so we're I, not saying all politics is bad. Stay away from sure, politics. Sure, sure, sure. We, I just – 
want to make sure they're not hearing us say that. Yeah, agreeing with you, I would say we should try to seek changes in governmental structure in ways that we can that do mm-hmm. promote peace and promote godliness and so on and so forth um, and promote Christian values. But um, putting your um, basically your trust in the shaky ground of politics that changes today and uh, tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, man, we'll just have you in a mental turmoil that's mm-hmm. just unrecoverable almost. Um, I mean, you spend time on Twitter and you give your life to something like Twitter where people are just going back and forth every day. I mean, it's just, it's depressing. Um, and so it's good to have a hope that supersedes our political um, kerfuffles. So kerfuffles, kerfuffles. Nice. pray for your governments. Number one, live peaceable, quiet lives. Number two, don't put your hope in government or its leaders. Number three, and then number four, a good thing to remember this is not your home as a Christian. Um, uh, the the famous um, writer uh, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, said, this isn't my home. I'm just a passing through, mm-hmm. referring to um, his time on earth. And while your time on earth is very, very important uh, in all sorts of ways, evangelizing the lost, um, uh, enjoying children and all the things that God's given you, enjoying your spouse, enjoying God and the things that He's given you, enjoying your church, um, serving your church and serving God and serving um, um, your government. Uh, ultimately, we not we best not think that um, that. That, that we are n- that we don't have a future that's better coming. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, First Peter talks to the church that's scattered abroad because of the beginnings of persecution, and he refers to the church as elect exiles. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're strangers and sojourners, living called to live faithful lives as they wait for the living hope before them. And um, and uh, in that text, he says, "You're a holy nation. You're a, a set apart people." And you are waiting for the home, your home to come. And so um, I always envision uh, the book of Daniel being like the Old Testament First Peter or um, First Peter being like the New Testament Daniel. And Daniel, of course, is living for 70 plus years uh, under two different wicked governments. And um, toward the end of his life, we talked about this earlier, mm-hmm. he's 80 some years old. He's told he can't pray. He doesn't care, right? He's 80. I mean, he's mm-hmm. been serving the Lord all of his life. He's doing what he's normally doing. He's going to go pray again. And um, and it's so unique. What he does when he prays is he opens up his windows facing towards Jerusalem because God had made a promise through the prophet Jeremiah that he would restore Jerusalem. Similarly, we today are strangers and sojourners living in like a dim-lit foreign hotel awaiting our future forever home, the new Jerusalem. That's Revelation 21. And so let's pray to that end. That's our home. Yeah, Peter calls us aliens scattered throughout the world, right? Mm -hmm. So this is not our home. We are citizens of heaven primarily. And so we ought to be looking at the kingdom of God, not the things of this world first. And so thinking of the kingdom of God, living as uh, children of God, uh, even Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus tells us to be salt and light in this world, right? To be salt to, and light, to be a, be different in order to make a difference in this world. Recognize where your home is. And this isn't our eternal home. Heaven is our eternal home. Mm. And so live that way. And don't yeah. just live to make you – know, I've had this conversation with people multiple times in the last couple of days. Don't just make Tampa or whatever city you live in a better place to go to hell from. That's not the point. Mm. The, the point is trying to – Show people that there is a kingdom that's much better, mm. a kingdom that's perfect, a kingdom that has one authority and it is God, and they're welcome into that kingdom through Jesus Christ. Mm. That's good.
Number five, do you want to list it out? You kind of hinted at this one. I did hint at this one earlier. I'm, I probably more than hinted at it because I think it is so important. So we're to submit to government unless uh, they tell us to do something that goes against what God has clearly told us to do mm-hmm. in Scripture. So, um, and so if it's so, there's a limit to submission. Correct. Okay. Correct. And, and that limit stops at disobeying God. It, it stops at disobeying His authoritative word. Now you got to have a standard by which. What do you what do you measure that by? So I'm going to go to God's word. And use that um, and say, if the government tells me to go against what God's written, authoritative, infallible word says, then I'm no longer bound to be subject to that because I answer to a higher authority. Hmm. As Daniel did, you, you referenced Daniel. He was praying when he was told he could only pray to the king. Well, Daniel didn't stop doing what he'd always done. He just went and kept praying to the one true God. Um, but he knew that that law was wrong and he was mm. not going to observe that law he mm. went against it um not necessarily in a in a um overt way but he went home opened his doors and just did what he always did mm-hmm. and prayed to the one true god and yet for a number of years before then so we got to hold this tension here for a number of years before then he had served we we know on the biblical record three kings it was mm-hmm. his third king that he was serving when it came to Darius um and he served them well and they were wicked like, uh, it's in fact, um, a lot of people don't know this. Daniel went to Jerusalem, uh, near 20 years before, uh, sorry, Daniel went to Babylon from Jerusalem, was exiled out of Jerusalem, uh, for near 20 years before Jerusalem was fully and finally destroyed. And so he's serving a wicked king that is still destroying families and mm-hmm. still destroying the temple and all sorts of things. Uh, it was horrific. It's horrendous. It's sad. Um, but he's serving him with a, uh, an excellent spirit uh, at the end of his life is what it says in chapter six. So he was serving a wicked government. Uh, and I, I would argue that that should be our primary posture is submission until, as you said, um, uh, to obey government means to disobey God. Well, I have to obey God. Um, so another instance of a New Testament instance of something like Daniel, um, there's religious zealots and they're tired of Rome and the, in the, um, the, just the, the, the mean-spirited, even abusive spirit of the military of Rome, and they come to Jesus and they say, you know, should we give taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, well, whose who's face is on that coin? He says, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Now, those taxes um, basically funded the military that was abusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, those those taxes were collected by, um, by con men called tax collectors, basically. Uh, and they even funded terrible, inappropriate things that were happening with the Senate. And so, um, uh, all that said, um, I think we like to put as many limits as we can on serving the government. And yet part of our Christian witness is serving the government, even when it's wicked until it is direct uh, disobedience against God. Yeah. Cause those, some of those taxes were misappropriated or misused <laughs> or even brought with illegal gains or whatever, sure. Yeah, but they were also used for public works. They were also mm-hmm. used for the go- the better of the the people could have been used better, but it was still used for those purposes. Yep. And Jesus's answer was give to Caesar what is Caesar's, That's right. but give to God what is God. Don't, That's right. it's, not, it's not just do what Caesar tells you to do. Recognize there is God's authority in your life. You mentioned, we were talking about Daniel and you mentioned Jeremiah earlier, mm-hmm. you know, that, that prophecy, uh, well, the, 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 Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. a lot of people like to quote mm-hmm. the context of that is the Babylonian exile. Hey, yeah. you're going to be in exile, but while you're there, while you're there, plant vineyards, while you're there, build homes, while you're there, pray for the government, while you're there, make a difference where you are. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, oh, by the way, I have a plan for you. Mm -hmm. I have a future for you. I have, mm -hmm. I have a hope for you, right? So live within whatever society you're in as a sojourner, as an alien, as a Christ follower, and make a difference, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, yeah. It's good. It's good. Number so, six, last one. You last want to mention one. that one? Um, no, this is one that you've kind of been – Talking with me about just the last couple of days as, okay. as I'm, I'm going through Daniel um, on my Friday morning mm -hmm. Bible study with my guys, and you've been kind of looking at it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's believed that the Most High God reigns over the kings and the kingdoms of the world, recognizing God is still sovereign over all of this, right? Mm -hmm. And he can sway kings. He's placed them in authority. He's put governments in authority, and he will and can remove them. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that at the end of the day, governments are, are flawed. God is not. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. Again, I know we keep going back to Daniel, but it's just such a good picture of okay, what does it look like to serve a wicked king, live in a wicked kingdom? Um, so Daniel's constant plea to Nebuchadnezzar um, every time Nebuchadnezzar has a dream or a vision or does something wrong is, uh, you know, God will take your kingdom from you until you recognize the Most High reigns and sets up kings and can remove kings from their kingdoms, and that's exactly what happens in chapter four. Is um, Basically, uh, through Daniel's um, interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is warned by God that if he does not recognize the Most High reigns, he's going to be sent out for seven years to eat grass like an ox. He's going to be, become the beast visually that he is internally. And, and so uh, number six on here is basically recognize that, that God does what he wishes and it's always good and is always over any other king that tries to set themselves up against him. He can make the next president and the next, you know, uh, world leader here or there an ox if he wants to, mm -hmm. right? Um, he will show himself most high. Uh, now, I you have something you want to say to that? Well, just, God's not sitting up in heaven wringing his hands when when the candidate that we didn't vote for wins. Right. Right. He right. He's not going, oh, no, didn't see that coming. Now what are we going to do? Right. He is in control. And and God can have plans as he did in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He, he sent revelation to Nebuchadnezzar multiple times, mm -hmm. sent somebody to interpret to him, warned him, warned him. And there were times early on where he was convicted, but he wasn't changed. And it does seem to appear that after that seven-year period that he literally did, he lost his mind, went out in the fields and was among the animals, that he did. It, it seems to say he repented and he recognized that there is one sovereign God. Mm. And God restored him to his position for a period of time. Six encouraging things to consider in a Christian's relationship to their government. Pray for your government and the salvation of its leaders. Live peaceable, quiet lives. Don't put your hope in government or its leaders. Recognize this is not home. Submit unless you must subvert to obey God. And then lastly, believe the most high God reigns over the kings and kingdoms of the world. So I have a few questions for you and that we can discuss together even that I've written down. Um, so, um, of course, you know, we have the opportunity through this podcast to actually get to speak to people in Europe. And I saw someone even in Russia listening um, to our podcast. Um, so different governmental structures, different uh, even problems in their government, uh, some leaders debatably more wicked than others in different places, whatever it might be. Um, when you think of whether a Christian's responsibility is to influence and occupy, in other words, engage in government, and at the other end of the spectrum, if you think of a Christian's uh, goal to be more to like retreat and 
um, represent God? What would you say should be the priority there? Should a Christian influence and occupy? Should a Christian retreat and represent? Does it just depend on the time and place and the leader and the? Yes, okay. yeah, I, I think ultimately the goal is to influence. That's why God has put us here. Right now, the circumstances <laughs> might dictate how that plays out. Mm-hmm. You know, some circumstances you're going to have more of an op- op- opportunity to do that. And that might be direct influence, direct involvement in government. It might be through voting. It might be through standing up and do, you know standing out for a particular issue. So, you, like in our setting, we we can be much more open and be influential, in, influential, um, or at least try to be influential. Whereas in some states, like you've mentioned, um, I think of Cuba right now. Mm-hmm. Cuba's in a mm-hmm. in a bad way when it comes to religious freedom. Um, so, is it wise to? Uh, not just try to occupy, but as you say, retreat. In other words, survive, but yet in the midst of surviving, represent the gospel well. Mm-hmm. So um, church in China, you know, when the underground church, churches that aren't state-sponsored churches, what would we call that, mm-hmm. right? That That's not somebody that I would say is occupying, but that is somebody who is representing, and the gospel is flourishing there. So. Yeah. I don't think it's a, a right or a wrong necessarily. It, it's what's the situation and what does the situation call for? Yeah. And individually, we're called in different ways. We're gifted in different ways. Mm. And so uh, the goal, of course, is to make a difference. But the difference isn't politics. The difference is the gospel. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? So as society becomes increasingly more more secular, as it seems it's progressively becoming, sure. um, you know, should we – have expectations of our government, um, even maybe say as Americans today, should we have expectations of our government and respectfully call our government to such expectations? So here's an example. Um, a government is instituted by God to restrain evil and to promote peace, to be a blessing for the righteous and a terror for evildoers. Well, in a government, it seems like it's more of a terror to those most vulnerable mm-hmm. and celebrating what is unrighteous. And, uh, and, a, and, and blessing those that are acting immorally. Um, should Christians, you know, kind of call for an expectation for their government to promote peace and to be a blessing for righteous? Well, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly would say yes. I mean, the, the, the government is there to promote peace, to take care of people, to, to protect those that are vulnerable, and we need to speak up for those who can't mm-hmm. speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, and when the government does not do that, we need to speak up. And, uh, I know we have on here to talk about separation of church and state, and mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, that got twisted to protecting the state from any kind of religious speak, and that's just not what separation of church and state is. Mm-hmm. Separation of church and state was designed to protect religious entities from government influence and government mm-hmm. control. It was never designed to take religion out of the public sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so – we ought to speak into these things and say, this is what the government is supposed to be doing. It's not supposed to be hurting people. It's supposed to be helping people. It's not supposed mm-hmm. to be harming those who can't stand up for themselves. It's supposed to be providing for them. And so we do need to speak up. And when we do, one way we do that is sometimes we, I mean, we've seen videos of people speaking up at board meetings, school board meetings, or mm-hmm. we, we've seen people, um, you know, um, host seminars or whatever it might be. Uh, but one of the primary ways we do that is vote. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in our, yeah. in our, in our, um, organization, 
uh, the organization of our government, we still have the opportunity to vote, and mm-hmm. voting matters. It does matter. Um, as society becomes increasingly more secular, do you envision that it may become more difficult um, for Christians uh, to hold on to the values of Christ if they uh, are belittled or even seen as bigoted in governmental organizations. So I'm, I'm just I'm just wondering, do you think it's going to be more difficult to serve in some positions in the future? So, uh, you know, um, uh, of course, we're just estimating here, but maybe serving as a, as a teacher 20 years from now, if we mm-hmm. see increased secularization, that's going to be something that's, that's going to be difficult. We have great teachers who serve in many places. My parents have both been sure. teachers. Um, I remember my, my dad even um, praying before tennis matches and things like that. Um, but I do think just Christians ought to be prepared that it might become more difficult in the f- near future. It will if the church continues to give up ground, if mm-hmm. the church continues to be silenced, <laughs> if the church doesn't step up and say, though there is a right and there is a wrong, and this is right and this is wrong. And so if we allow people to be elected who don't hold those views, who hold views mm-hmm. that are continually more secular, more humanistic, mm. then we are going to face those things um, you know, within our classrooms, within our churches being told who can be married and who can't, mm. th- those kind of things. At some point, the church has to step up and say, no, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. And by the church, the church is people. Mm. The church is individuals. It's individual teachers who are given curriculum that says you're going to teach six-year-olds or middle schoolers um, sexual identity that goes mm-hmm. against a binary sexual identity, mm-hmm. they have to stand up and say, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. And we need to support and, and, and vote for school boards and, and those that aren't going to force those views on yeah. people. So, and encourage yeah. those teachers yeah. and encourage those teachers. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and th- that's just one example of, 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 of things that come along. But um, so, yeah, it is going to become more um, difficult unless the church stops backing up mm. and we as individuals step up and say, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Not because we think it is, and that's our opinion. Yeah. It's God's word. Yeah. And that's why the world wants to do away with, with truth. They want to make it relative. Yeah. Uh, because if you take away truth and you take away the one who has the authority to give the truth and you take away the one who has authority, who is God, who's given the government, then you just, everything's free. Everything's possible. We could do whatever we want. Yeah. And we must stand on the truth. Yeah. I, not not to be in any way pessimistic, but say the church just continues just to stand up for truth, and yet um, the numbers, at least here in America, and that needs to be clarified, at least mm-hmm. here in America, the numbers of those who claim to identify to uh, identify as having a relationship with Christ, it dwindles, say it does. I do think it's going to be pretty difficult for um, you know, Christians even in the far future, hopefully, um, to, to serve, uh, uh, you know, what could be a wicked government in the future. And so I think that's just things to think through. I think that what you said was very, very good. Sure. I mean, the numbers are pointing in that direction. It's not being yeah. pessimistic. That's being realistic. Yeah. Um, and of course God can change things, but the, the reality, and as we see the world <laughs> trending, as we see, uh, just how scripture points us to what happens towards the end, things aren't going to get better. We're, we're, yeah. we're, God gave us over to our own sin nature, and it's just spiraling. And so, yeah, but we should have expectations of our government uh, and respectfully call on our government to stand up for those expectations. Yeah. In more recent days, um, uh, a book has become very popular. It's written by a guy named Stephen Wolf. Uh, I have to admit I've not read the book or any part of the book. I've seen a number of people comment on it. Um, but the book was entitled Christian Nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, or it was called entitled The Case for Christian Nationalism, I believe. 
um, and it advocated for a sort of taking over um, uh, the government and bring one's government through gospel witness under the lordship of Christ. And so the goal being, hey, we want to make a, uh, you know, a nation, a Christian nation. And while I, um, while I hesitate saying anything negative about that, because who wouldn't want a nation to come under the lordship of Christ and trust Christ? And I don't, I don't mean just a governmental structure, but the people of a nation. Who wouldn't want to see America bow down before the Lord, right? I mean, right. that'd be pretty crazy to say you don't want to see sure. that. Um, I would just say that when we're thinking of governmental structures and we think of Christians' relationship to the government, um, I could certainly talk about how I don't think that's probably going to be the case with Revelation. It looks like there's a decline, looks like there's a, a mass apostasy and so on and so forth. But I would say that the Christian's vision for evangelization is much bigger than just a national uh, um, goal. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is um, I don't think God's intention is just for uh, nations to come to know the Lord, but the whole world. And I know the world is made up of nations. I'm not, it's not lost on me. Um, but the command from the Great Commission is to go to Pontata Ethne, Ethne, go to all ethnic peoples of the world and see them come to know the Lord through the gospel, baptizing them. So the, 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 the nation of God that God has designed to serve him is the church. First Peter chapter two, you are a, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so to become a part of the nation of God is not to necessarily influence your nation to come and bow before the Lord, but rather to come and bow before the Lord, no matter what nation you're serving, and become a part of the church. The greatest picture of nationalism is to be a part of a local church, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Christian nationalism is kind of one of those hot button issues. It's a, it's a, it's a, phrase that's been thrown out there a lot and confusing got, phrase it's yeah. very confusing we got some people think well i should support that i don't <laughs> think i should uh, and I, at, the, at the end of the day if the goal is the salvation of a people if it's the mm-hmm. salvation of a nation god did not tell us to do that from his word through government agencies he told mm-hmm. us to do that through the church that's good so the is that a good goal okay sure it is is it the is it the ultimate goal no it's not so we, we need to function as the church, not as politics. That's good. Right? Yeah. yeah. So would it be fair to say, let's just kind of s- summarize some things here. Would it be fair to say that our posture more than not should be one of submission to governmental authority that God has instituted? That's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More than not. Um, even wicked governments and all these places throughout the Old New Testament, the posture that is commended is submission. Um, I, I think it just would be helpful Pastor Bob, for us just to end commending a sort of spirit amongst the church, and that spirit is one of love. Um, in our current cultural climate, uh, we live in a politicized world, and things are just crazy. Uh, I can't believe you would vote for that or think that, or I can't believe you would um, you know, even watch that news organization, so on and so forth, because they support this guy or support that guy. And we can become, we can become angry even amongst ourselves in the church very quickly. Mm-hmm. And yet, Jesus says in John 13, he says, you know, the world ought to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And so, um, again, we, we can't think we're going to win the world through the government. We win the world through the gospel, and we testify that the gospel is true in the way that we live, that the Spirit's alive in us um, by the way that we live and treat one another um, uh, with the fruits of the Spirit. Um, there's this great picture. I would just like to, to end with this. If you have any other comments, shoot them, uh, throw them out. But 
the Epistle of Diognetus, early on in the church's history, there's this um, long kind of letter arguing um, uh, or, or giving a, a statement for who these Christian people are and why they're living the way they're living. And it describes these people in the Roman government by sharing their homes, but not their beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it describes them um, where uh, infanticide was commonplace in Rome. Uh, people would lay out a child on the corner of the street if they couldn't take care of them or didn't want to. Christians would go and take care of that child. Um, it described them of not being of any certain governmental structure, not even speaking any certain language, um, living in their homeland and ser- living in uh, the, the, their land and serving their land, uh, obeying government government's authority. Uh, and it said that people hate them but had no reason to. Mm. Uh, they were the kindest of all peoples, the the uh, the sweetest of all peoples. And so um, we do submit to our government. But we don't have to look like it if it's wicked, right? Um, I, that would just be my encouragement. Um, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think that is scriptural encouragement to to fear God, love people, you know, yeah. serve the serve the serve the King, but fear God and love people. Government's a blessing, and the encouragement is to pray for your leaders. All right, thank you for listening in this week, and we will join you again next week.